Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. In addition to figuring out how we help our young people, our preteens, through their physical and emotional changes that occur during those adolescent years, we also need to figure out how to help young people work their way through their mental and spiritual health path. And when I refer to spiritual health, I'm referring to whether or not they understand their values and are they making decisions and their path in alignment with those values. As today's guest would say, your pattern predicts your path. So before I continue with anything else, I would like to introduce today's guest, who is Gail Swift, a Colby certified consultant. And before I even attempt to explain what that is, I'm going to have our guest say hi to you and give a little bit about her background. Thank you, Gail, so much for being here today. Would you mind saying hi to our audience and introducing a little bit about who you are? Absolutely, Lori. Thank you so much. And I'm thrilled to be on and serve your audience. So as far as what the Colby is, that actually dovetails perfectly well with how I got into this in the first place. I grew up with a neurological disorder called Tourette syndrome. I was diagnosed with it when I was five years old. In addition to being a little last minute and crazy and doing things, I would say not normal, my parents and teachers would say. And most of my life, I thought that that would be a problem up until 1991, when I sat across a Colby consultant for the first time in my life and realized that the conative part, which is how I work, was absolutely perfect and innate. So I was born with this way of solving problems. And it became such a profound moment in my life. And it impacted me when I had my own kids. And especially when I got married, I wanted to make sure that I knew the genius inside of my own kids instead of having them do things my way. And that is what I would say catapulted me onto this trajectory of being a Colby consultant and then working with youth. Would you mind sharing the ages of your children? Sure. Absolutely. 14 and 16, two boys. Wonderful. So when we connected, I looked into who you are and your website, and I saw this plans to prosper coaching that you do. Would you mind explaining what that is? Plans to prosper is my company and we help people find and follow what they're meant to do in life using the Colby system to do that and work with schools across the country, across the world and families and individuals to help that happen. And you work with young people. Like, can you tell us about the range of ages you work with? Absolutely. Yeah. So this test can be administered, I would say, as early as three years old. It's a nonverbal assessment at three. So from three to nine, 
It is a nonverbal assessment. So it's a bag of toys, Lori. And this child, when you open up the bag of toys and dump it out and you say, make something amazing through a videotape on that child for probably four, I think four to 12 minutes, how they play with those toys, what they pick up, and then how they create that amazing toy, we're able to decipher what is striving behavior and what is play. That is the first that, so that's from like three to nine. And then teenagers are, I would say from a fourth grade reading level, maybe to 20 years of age, there's what's called a student aptitude quiz. And then there's a Colby A index, which stands for adult after that. So there are three different levels that you can use. So the SAQ, can you explain what that is about? That stands for student aptitude quiz. That just came out. Well, just to me is like two years ago. That replaced the Colby Y index. Y stands for youth. And the student aptitude quiz has three bits of information in one. It tells that student how they work naturally. There's an MO, modus operandi, or four-digit number that comes out of the student aptitude quiz. That pattern, that four-digit number is where we start our work. And then based on their MO is a test and study report as well that they get. So it tells that student how they best study and, and test. And then the third bit of information that they get is what could cause them cognitive stress and what to do about it. So that child is anchored with tips and tricks on how to leverage their natural strength for school. Okay. So and I'm, I'm trying to process everything you're saying, yep. because I know in the schools, we have a variety of specialists that try to support young people the best that they can. Why do you believe that this topic, your topic and what you do is so important? I would say, Lori, the reason I believe it's so important is because it doesn't change over time. It's innate. It's not a personality profile. It's not something that's just tested cognitively and you're done. It is your way of taking action that you're born with. And Kathy Colby, her dad developed the Wonderlick IQ test way back a long time ago when she was helping her dad with this mental ability test. She said, you know what, dad, there are other ways that people are successful. And it's not just about the grades and it's not just about the athleticism that they have. There's something else that drives them. And he said, figure it out. What is that? So when she was young, before she could drive, she started observing people over time. And for the next 20 years, she observed many thousands of people and how they worked and therefore developed the Colby A index algorithm in 1987. She took this algorithm to Harvard, MIT, Northwestern University, just to make sure that it was legitimate, that it was actually going to measure what she wanted to measure. And she said that it doesn't change over time. She said it's innate and she was willing to prove it. The mathematician said it will do what you say it's going to do. It's an advanced algorithm. They didn't believe she came up with it with her son, but that didn't matter. She did. And so she has always proved that this is valid and reliable. And it's predictive too, Lori. Meaning you can predict what will cause someone stress, but you cannot predict a personality. You cannot predict if someone's going to like or dislike that. 
but you can predict, for example, in school, if that student is going to be stressed out by too much information or too little information. When she was in school, she learned about the third part of the mind. It was called the moral compass at the time. Long ago, Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates came up with the three parts of the mind, but no one had developed a way to measure instincts while striving because they are a subconscious force. They just sit there. Her algorithm, it's in the Colby AIDS, a 36-question forced choice assessment, which means most likely and least likely. And it gives you examples of what you would do when you're solving a problem that you want to solve. Based on the way you're answering that problem, it puts you into a state of having to decide or strive, use your mental energy to make that problem, to solve that problem. Based on that, you're, you're coming up with a pattern. And so that doesn't change. She even tested 20 years um, there was a 20-year test retest reliability study, and she grabbed a bunch of people that took this 20 years ago and had them take it again. And every mode, there are four modes of behavior. It was within 94 to 96% of where it was 20 years ago. And I had this done in 1991, and I took it again in 2016, and it, it was the same thing for me too. So I like it because you can count on it, and there aren't a lot of things, there aren't a lot of assessments that kids can count on. But when you know this and it's solid and it doesn't change over time, that's what attracts me to this. Okay. So when somebody takes an assessment through you or another consultant, Mm -hmm. there's no wrong answers. Correct. It's how people answer. It's how they pause. It's how they, I guess, the process of their answering. Exactly. Okay. So if somebody took any of these assessments, let's say it's a 14 year old, Mm -hmm. what do they do with it afterwards? Well, if you just take it and you just look at the results, you're going to be like, okay, that's great. Um, that, and that's where I come in is I actually help you and the family with what to do with this information because it was given to me. And it was a one-time thing, Lori, and I wish that someone would have taught me the language to stick up for myself. And so that is very important to me that I teach that child how to respectfully request what they need. This is not an excuse not to do something. A lot of kids will go down that road with me and I get a huge kick out of it because this is a privilege that you have to know this information about yourself It's your responsibility to use it wisely and with caution because it is the blueprint to your success. And it is not an excuse saying my kids tried to do this with me actually when they first found out and they pulled the, Oh, that's not, that's not me, mom. That's, that's not, that's just not me. I said, and how great that you know that you can do what you don't want to do your way. (laughs) What a privilege that is for you. I don't really care if you want to do it or you want to do it or not. This is, this is a responsibility that you have. So set the timer, do it in under a minute. Like there are all sorts of tips and tricks that I use to help kids do things they don't want to do their way. I think I got off track a little bit, Lori. Sorry about that. No, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. It's interesting because this is like a paradigm shift of how we're actually looking at 
young people in which I'm a firm believer that one way of teaching and one way of learning, that doesn't work. We are, all of us have different, I'll say personalities, but we also have different strengths and weaknesses that make us grow. And sometimes we pretend that we don't have weaknesses or certain challenges, if I say it in that way, yet if they're there, they're there. Like for historical recall, it's not there for me. Uh, yet that doesn't mean I don't have other strengths, but that's again, learning for you. You're basically saying that what you try to help people cope with, not cope, but you're, you're helping them figure out their patterns. Correct. Correct. Okay. Do you have a specific example? I do. A couple of things, like a lot of things are actually running through my mind as you're talking right now. I believe that everyone is made without deficit. I believe everyone is made perfectly whole, but we're also not good or we don't do naturally 100% of everything. That's why we're in community with people. Right. <laughs> we're in community with others to help us out because we're not meant to be in this world as a silo. So I do believe we're made whole. I don't believe there are any deficits. And I do have a phrase that I love to use and it makes perfect sense. It's take your highs and make them higher. And I'll tell you what that means in a minute. So 70% of teachers, generally speaking, work one way. They have one MO a general MO, 70% of teachers. If you have a student, remember, this is not a cognitive. It has no basis on smarts and not personality. But if you have a student that has the opposite MO of a teacher, remember, not has nothing to do with smarts, but just the pattern or the path to get the problem solved is different. There will almost always be friction because that pattern is different. It, the pattern is different. Teachers, I mean, this wasn't around when I was in high school. This, wasn't, this didn't even exist. So this is a huge deal. When I bring it to a classroom and I do not, do not expect teachers to be like, oh my gosh, this is great. Let's add one more thing to our plate. I'm not going to do that at all. But what happens is when I bring it to a school about one in four or five teachers will start to vet me. <laughs> they'll start to come up to me and they'll start to be like, so is this really a thing? Like, what is this all about? Is this really real? Those teachers that are vetting me wind up wanting this in their classroom. They want it in their classroom because at the end of me working with a student body, I go into a classroom and I will say, as the kids may have lanyards on and they can see their strengths, this is how you take your highs and make them higher. So all the kids are back in the classroom after I work with them in small groups. And I'll say, who, who would go to, who's the red? The red is the details. And the students raise their hand. And I said, if all of you, if you need details or background on a project, go to the red. If you want to know what's next, if you want to know the plan and what's due, go to the blue brainstorming, new ideas, new possibilities, creative ways of learning, go to the green. And if you want the project built where it's going to last a lifetime, go to the yellow. So the kids start looking at the other kids like, oh, that's okay. That's what I can use. That's what you're good at. Mm -hmm. And it's not about anything else, <laughs> okay. but what their innate talents and strengths are. So the teacher's 
that do do this get a huge kick out of it because after a while, and this takes some time, but they can assign a task and put the kids in small groups and watch them, watch them go, watch them solve the problem differently and get to the end result. And the teacher is watching all this unfold because they're seeing the gifts of the kids come to fruition in the class. Okay. So would you say that after taking this assessment and then having you help the person who took the assessment, that their success, whether it be in the classroom or in their life, actually increases? Yes. Hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Is there a specific story that would be used as an example for this? Not sharing the person's real name. Would you mind sharing anything? Not at all. Not at all. There was a student I worked with. He was younger and I had Tourette's. I have Tourette's syndrome. It doesn't go away. It's a mild version. And I actually was expressing that. I told that I gave that speech somewhere. And afterwards, a parent came up to me and said, I think my son is on the exact same trajectory as you. Could we, you know, test him? Um, we're about to take him into the doctor. We're about to put him on meds. Can you, can you work with him to make, to see if this is the right path? I said, absolutely. So I decided we worked together and that child was in transition. That student was in transition. And what that means is when a student's in transition, that algorithm doesn't complete itself because the voices outside of that student's head are louder than their own, meaning they're listening to other people more than listening to themselves. And the algorithm will pick up on that and it will not complete itself. So there'll be a little asterisk in the mode where they're stressed out. And that happened. And so I said to the parents, I said, we got to give this a little bit of time And I said, he needs to kind of back up. I need you to back off of scheduling. I need you to give him a little freedom to figure out how to do things his way and very general um, back up the lens comments or tips. So uh, three weeks went by, we tested him again, and it was a great, great result. It was a positive result. And it turns out that there were some things happening after school around bedtime in the household that were stressing him out. And as soon as the parents realized this and they got in his lane, and then I talked to his homeroom teacher and the homeroom teacher recognized it and was in his lane. And we started working with him on how to solve problems his way. They didn't take him to the doctor. He wasn't on meds and he was peaceful more fun, enjoyable to be around. And I would say that's a huge success story. And I have about two others behind it, if you want me to share those two, but that's, that was a great success story. If, would you mind sharing another one? Sure, absolutely. These two actually deal with, there was a girl I worked with. She was 15 years old. She was on anxiety medication and she needed to finish everything she started when assignments would come at her she would get very overwhelmed and stressed out. I worked with her and I worked with her family and her parents were different from her. They didn't need to finish everything they started. She did. She needed to finish everything she started. But what we could work with was she didn't need to finish everything at 100% right now. 
So we work together on deciding, deciding on the front end what she was going to commit to. And then she could commit to two or three things that day. And then the next day she could commit to a few more, not trying Lori, but committing. There's a difference. So recognizing that she didn't have to commit to everything at once. The other thing on tests, super huge. I encouraged her to answer the question and not go back and not re-double check her answer because that took her out of her natural flow, takes her out of her, her gut, her MO. And she was really scared to do that, Lori, but she did. And she did so much better on tests when she trusted her natural way of, she had plenty of information, plenty of reasons to just come up with. She was naturally a test taker, but she wasn't trusting her gut. So we taught her how to trust her gut and she stopped taking anxiety medication and was in front of the calendar and recognized that she could choose what was going to take her time and then using downtime to recharge. And that is that was a great story as well. I'm getting a sense in a way, it's like you're a personal coach, a very mindful personal coach in which after receiving results from an assessment, it's like you teaching them in a mindful practice in a way of just very simple everyday habits to help people get aligned with their path. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. To choose, absolutely to choose instead of have it to have it be decided for them. Yes. What recommendations do you have for if a caregiver wants to have a a child take one of these assessments, the Mm -hmm. SAQ, what recommendations do you have for that caregiver to start the conversation? Can you, okay. What ask? I don't know if I'm understanding that. Ask that another way, please. You got it. How can a caregiver start conversations on the cognitive with others? Oh, you mean like after they've taken it and they know about it? Even before, let's say they wanted somebody to take one of these assessments. Okay. The fact that it even exists, the fact that we're doing this together right now is a huge stepping stone. Like that's a huge to know that it even exists, first of all. And then they're, they're welcome to call me. They can go online and do it. It doesn't, the price is the same, but I, one of the action items after they take this, it is so natural when someone knows this information, they're going to share it with their loved ones because they want to make their life easier. (laughs) So for example, my husband is very into the details. I am not as into the details. And when we were in college, I would rapid fire all these questions at him. And he kept saying, it depends. It depends. And I, I, I was judging because I thought, you know what, why can't you make a decision fast? Fast is better. What's your problem? Why do you take so much time? And it wasn't until 1997 where I knew how he worked. I was like, oh, Gail, shame on you for disrespecting a gift. So my husband needs time to decide. He needs time to make sure his answers are thorough and right and precise. And I was making a judgment call on that saying it was a bad thing. And it's not, I was arrogant, Lori. I was so arrogant. I thought I I was, I thought my way of working was the absolute best. And so 
when my kids were little and I would start saying that you do it this way or do it that way. And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, are they going to do it their way? Or is my ego going to come in here? So all sorts of decisions, right. As a mom, as an adult. And I realized that consequences were huge with kids. And when my youngest son knew this at the age, and he's the opposite of teachers. So when my youngest son knew this, when he was in third grade, he started coming home with no homework. I was like, well, that's great. You don't have any sheets to come home. That's fantastic. And he's like, no, mom, I decided to take the ding. I said, what's that? And he said, I asked my teacher how much it would cost to not do my homework. And she said, 10% of your grade, that will be the ding. And he's like, I'll take it. So some parents, when I tell that story, are like, how horrible that you're going to allow that to happen. And other parents think how amazing that he made that decision and he's dealing with the consequences. So if you know how your child works and you allow them to make decisions and deal with the consequences and nothing was off the table, Lori, like I was ready for him to redo every single grade if need be. I didn't care. But ever since third grade, he's been dealing with the consequences his own, I mean, on his own. So I don't know about the grades. I don't care about the grades. I don't ask about the grades. I treat an A and an F the same. Did you work hard? And what would you do differently next time? I ask the same questions. So for us as a family, that personal responsibility was huge. And this tool allowed me to give my kids the personal responsibility. It is hard for other parents to release the grip. But for me, that's that's another reason why it's super important. I love hearing a lot of the phrases that you're saying, Gail. I mean, the personal responsibilities, the decision-making and the consequences that is something, and it, it aligns with a health education standard more than one. And I, I, so I really appreciate how you're explaining things and what you do. I truly do because that self-management is so important. Um, so we can create or help support, I should say, young people to be the best they can be. I need to back up a little bit though, because I realized yeah. After I put it into a question, I'm not sure I really understand what the word means. I I used the word cognitive before, and I took that word from what you had posted on your website. Would you give a definition of cognitive? It's C-O-N-A-T-I-V-E for those of Mm -hmm. you that are listening in. Mm -hmm. Yes, cognitive. It's cognitive. Okay. It's cognitive. Yep. Cognitive is your volition, your instincts how you do things. Conation, it is the third part of the mind. It's the doing part of the mind. So cognitive is the thinking part. Affective is the think or the feeling part. And then conative is the doing. So think, feel, and do. And this measures the do. And you said it was cognitive, conative. And what was the other one? Affective, or your, that's your personality. I'm thinking of the seven habits of highly effective people with Stephen Covey. And he yep. talks about how there is that knowledge, that cognitive, there's the skill part, what you can do. And then that reason for why you do it, why it's important, that effective part. Would you say this aligns with it? 
it's all, they're all three connected. Okay. All three are connected. So there's this, there's an ingredient that you need in order to see conative behavior or that pattern. And that is you need to want to do the thing, right? If you don't want to solve the problem, mm-hmm. then you're not going to solve the problem. Yeah. There's nothing. I mean, that is a different. So if you have a student that says, I don't, I don't want to do this, right. They're not motivated. But if you have a student that says, I don't know how to do this, that's cognitive. Conative stress is different. It's not as obvious. It's not as obvious. It's a sneaky stress. And if you know your MO, you'll know what causes you stress. And there are four modes of behavior. And the first one is deals with information. And it's your need for very little information or a lot to make your best decision. The second mode is organization and systems. It is your need for organizing or your need not to organize or to finish what you start or not to. Remember, there's no judgment. It's not good or bad. It just is. And the third is your need for risk and uncertainty. And then the fourth is your need to get your hands on the world, to get your hands on the world. That Those are needs. So if you have a kindergartner that has a need to get his hands on the world to be his best or her best self and you're in circle time, and you touch your neighbor, now you've just made a naughty child out of an innate strength because no one knew that that child had the strength. I did this wrong. I'm the first to say that I did this to my son. He has a need to touch things to be his best self. And I said that this is a rule in the stores. We don't touch this stuff. So when he would touch the stuff, I made him a naughty child. I made him a bad kid because he was trying to use his strength. And I didn't know this at the time because it wasn't available. And I had to wait what felt like a hundred years to get tested. But now that I know that, I know why he's grabbing the, the knives off the rack and wants to chop. I know why he's got his hands in the dirt. I know why he's digging holes. I know why he's the first one at the top of the slide. Like all that makes a huge difference. And so I have grace And I have accountability as a mom. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Let's teach you how to use this stuff. And he's a welder now. He's a builder and he's got his own business. He's 14. (laughs) But if if it were me fighting that, Lori, then I would, that wouldn't happen. So these assessments not only support young people, but it helps their parents, their caregivers for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Now, if somebody's interested in connecting with you to find out more or to have you work with their child and their child take the SAQ, how can mm-hmm. they get in touch with you? You are welcome to give me a call. If you also have a website, can you yes. can you tell us where we can find you online? Absolutely. It is plans to prospercoaching.com. Plans to prospercoaching.com. Okay. And the link is definitely in the description for this episode. And I have another question for you because I have a feeling there are some adults that are listening in and they're like, can I take a form of this test? And you refer to something earlier. So what would they take and then how would it help them? I've worked with grad students in their 20s that have decided to take the SAQ because they are interested in the other material about the stress and about how to take tests. I've also had grad students take the Colby A index, which stands for adult. That is valid and reliable for adults. So either one, depending on where they're at in their journey of education and what they're looking for. 
But either way, it comes with me helping you explain and then walking through how to stick up for yourself and to communicate with others on what you need. Because just because you're in your 20s doesn't mean that you are less capable than someone in their 50s. You have the same cognitive creativity that someone in their 50s or 60s does. And if you're hired by an entity, the goal is that you both want the result. So recognizing that you may do it differently, I help you explain how to do that. Okay. Is it beneficial for somebody even 40 years old to take the test? It's beneficial at any age. Okay. <laughs> it does, I mean, I've had people in their 60s and 70s do it, and then they're just it's amazing the reaction that happens because of all of the stress or headache or the ahas, the stories, the that's why, oh, I understand now. And all that comes flooding back and around. It's great at any age, Lori. Okay. Well, do you have any last words of advice, whether it be regarding this cognitive aspect or anything else regarding young people growing up? There is a, there's an African proverb that I love a quote. It is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And what a wonderful way to end this episode, Gail, that that's perfect. That's lovely. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. And again, I'll have a link for how people can get in touch with you for sure. I have learned throughout this episode, it's really neat to grow and to learn something new. So I thank you so much for being here today. And to our listeners, thank you so much. If you want more information, go, please go check out Gail's link, her website of plans to prosper coaching.com. Also feel free to send me a question either at pubertyprof.com or through pubertyprofit gmail.com. If you have any questions for me or any statements, I'd love to hear from you. And again, thanks for listening in. Thank you, Gail. And I hope you all have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow The Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by The Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, common questions children ask about puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.